0: Amen.
1: Um, As you grab a seat this morning, um, I thought maybe just give a moment of just stillness and quietness. Um, As much as we want, we can't program in the movement of God's spirit into the service. But when God's presence um, is near to us, I think it's a reminder of the psalmist who said, Be still and know that I'm what? I'm God. So just for a few moments, uh, maybe just pause and just be still and just thank him for his presence. Thank him for when he communes with us. Um, So let's just be still for a moment.
0: Amen, amen.
1: Um, This morning we're going to be in Psalm 130 and um, we're going to be talking about fearing the forgiving God. Um, we've been kind of walking through, um, if you were with us a few weeks ago there in Psalm 128, um, where it talked about blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And we kind of walked through what it looked like to fear the Lord uh, uh, quite a bit that morning. Um, this morning we're going to return here to Psalm 130. So again, we've touched on 127, Psalm 128, and now into 130. And each of these would have been sung by the people of Israel as they made their journey to the temple to worship, um, and they would have been coming there to bring their praises to God, and and um, but this morning they're going to sing a song that maybe you have sung this morning on the way to church, or maybe at some point in your life you have found yourself singing the anthem to this song. And so um, let's get to it, Psalm one thirty, and let's hear the crying out. Listen to this; it's beautiful. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Listen to what he says there: out of the depths. I cry to you, O Lord. It's interesting that we don't get clarity on what the depths are. Um, Psalm 69, verse 2, you see it on the sc- screen there, uh, maybe some clarity. It says, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters. The deep waters is the same thing that's being stated here back in this out of the depths. And it's saying, listen, the flood sweeps over me. And, and so this person that's coming out of the depths, um, it's possible that this speaks of something going on in their life. Um, Maybe there's sickness. Maybe there's people they love and care about. Um, Maybe they're just in a really bad time, a really bad situation right now in life, and it feels like they are sinking in sinking sand. Right? It feels like the floods are literally overwhelming them. That's what he says there. The floods sweep over me. And he says, Out of the depths I cry to you. And so we don't have clarity on what might be happening in the life there. It's also possible, based upon where the text is going to take us this morning, that this is speaking of the spiritual life of this person. That spiritually, they feel very far from God. God, I feel like I'm very far away from you. I'm in the depths, God. I am distant from you. And it may be a result of all the things that are happening externally in my life, but internally, there is a crying out. There is a depth of it. And so I think it's beautiful that we don't have clarity on what these depths are. It's similar with the Apostle Paul, right? He pleaded three times for the Lord to take what away from him? What was it? He had a thorn in the flesh, but we never know what that thorn was. So we too are encouraged when the thorns in our lives come, when the depths of life overwhelm us. Look what he says here. I cry to you. I think it's interesting. Look what he says a couple different times here. He says, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Sometimes I think we often all, I, you may have been there, but I've had times where I wonder, like, why am I praying, right? Like, God already knows. He's promised He's going to do good. He sees my situation. So why do I even need to pray? And yet what we have continually is the Bible not only compelling us, as Paul does in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. He says, pray what? Continually pray without ceasing And then we have examples of people in the depths, and what do they do? They cry out to God. The Bible expects you and I, even though God sees, even though God knows, the Bible still continually shows us that we, in our weakness, and our feebleness, we get down low and we cry out to God. That's what he's doing here. He says, listen, God, I want you to listen. God, hear, I'm in the depths, Lord, and I'm crying out to you So it's a reminder to us, God's Word must always trump our feelings and thoughts. No matter how valid those feelings are in the moment, no matter how much we think that maybe we shouldn't do whatever, the Word of God is always our guide. It's always the measuring stick by which we judge everything that we need to say and do. And so he says, listen, I want you to know that in the depths of life, he asked that question, who are you going to call? And for some of you in the 80s, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, right? God says, I want you to know that in when who I'm going to call, I'm going to call out to the living God. I'm going to call out to the living God. It's interesting here, um, and this depends on what translation you're carrying this morning, but I want to draw your attention to something that may look a little different than what you see on the screen. Listen to this verse again, verse 2 of Psalm 130. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. He says that they are for mercy. Right now, the NIV 84, the Net Bible, both translate it that way. The King James, you're probably going to see the word supplication there. New King James, similar. The Christian Standard is going to say, help. And so I started to ask the question, why why is there a use of the word mercy? And literally the root word that's based on this word they're using here is the word for mercy. And I think it's interesting that mercy is being used. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know uh, a lot about how mercy is kind of rendered, but maybe these examples, sometimes these words get confused, grace and mercy. Grace is this. Grace is when your parents say that you have to eat peas for dinner to get dessert. You don't eat peas, but you still get what? Dessert. That's a great moment, right? That's grace, right? You got something you didn't deserve. Mercy is when you told your parents that you actually studied for that exam or did whatever you did, but you actually lied and didn't do it, and they found out about it. And now you're asking for mercy because they're saying, I'm going to ground you this weekend. You're saying, no, I've got all these big plans. And they show mercy. They don't give you what you deserve. You deserve to be grounded, not to get to go out, but they allow you to do it anyway. That's giving you mercy. They're not giving you the judgment or the punishment that you deserve. So mercy, grace. And so I think it's interesting. Look what he says here. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. In that word, there's an indication that there's some guilt. There's the adage, right, that we often use, you've made your bed, now you have to what? Lie in, Lie in it. And I think we all own that, and I think that's what he's owning here in the midst of this, that God, these depths may be the result of some of my own mistakes, God. These depths may be the result of some of the poor decisions that I've made, God, or there may be things, right, happening that maybe they couldn't control. But whatever it is, he says, listen, God, I want you to know I'm crying out for mercy. Lord, I am, I'm looking to you for mercy, So look at what the text says, verse 3. If you, verse 3 of Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if getting help from you is based upon being a good enough person, then who deserves it? Right, God, if getting into heaven is based upon me living a good enough life here and now, then who's going to get in, God? Right, like, God, if you're keeping a checklist, Lord, of all of my sins, then, God, I don't have much opportunity of standing with you. I know that I'm in trouble, Lord. If you, oh, Lord, if you mark iniquities, God, if you're keeping up with the tallies of all the mistakes, not only the things I've done externally, but, God, the things you see in my heart, right? God constantly says that. Look at Psalm 90, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you. Look at this. Our secret sins. In the light of your presence. Man, that kind of causes me to squirm, being honest. God knows the motives of your and my hearts. He sees the things that no one else does. He says, listen, I want you to know that, Lord, if you are keeping account of my sins, then, God, there's no chance for me. God, there's no hope For me, And so this moment, you and I are kind of walking with the psalmist here and we're walking up almost to this precipice, this edge and wondering if this is who God is. If he's literally a God who keeps iniquities, who keeps mark of sins, then there's no hope for me. And we're kind of waiting for the moment to say, well, what kind of God do we serve? Who is this God, right? Who is this God that no one else could stand because no one's good enough? What kind of God is he? Who is the living God? Listen to what he says here. Verse 4, but, but with you there is what? Forgiveness. But with you there's forgiveness, there's grace. Isaiah records the prophet, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah 43 verse 25 says, "I, I am he, speaking of the Lord, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Do you see that? Having your sins, right? That there is a God who is so good that He desires and delights in using His eraser. Think about that for a moment. You have your sin column with all the tallies. Tally, 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 slash, 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 tally, 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 tally. You have this big list of all your sins and all your mistakes. And He says, listen, I want you to know that there is a God who uses this holy, divine eraser and He delights in just erasing that all away. Why? And this is what we're going to get at today. I think this is, this is where we're going to circle our wagon, so to speak. Look what he says here. Four. Why would God do this? Why does he do it? What's he say there? For my own sake. There's a God who delights in forgiving. There's a God who receives glory from forgiving you of everything that you've ever done. Did you see that? That your sin isn't somehow like God can't handle that. God says, no, I delight in the fact, not that you sin, but I delight in the fact that I can take away your sin. And you and I stand there and say, God, I want that forgiveness. And God says, I desire to give that forgiveness. But how does it come to us? Enter Exhibit A. The Son of God who became flesh, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross that 1 John could tell us, beginning in verse 2, I write these words to you, brothers and sisters, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Your defense attorney, listen to this. Who is it? He says, it's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Who is the propitiation, or literally the atoning sacrifice. Those are some big words It means this, that God is not happy with sin. And someone had to step in and satisfy that to take the judgment. And it says that that atoning sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. See, God delights in showing forgiveness. Forgiveness. And you and I enjoy, and we cherish the fact that we are forgiven. But in between God's delighting in giving giving forgiveness and our receiving, someone had to stand in and take the judgment of God, that God could also be satisfied to judge sin and forgive us. And it's only through Christ. As you and I read these words, but with you there is forgiveness. We're reminded of the great grace of God, of His mercy. Of this kindness of God that you and I, even though we could never, ever be good enough to stand on our own, God delights in forgiving us. Right? He said in the prophet Isaiah, it's for my own sake. And we hear again, right? Look at this, verse 4. Why, God? That, look what he says here to them, that you may be feared. That you may be feared. Who is this God that desires in being feared? right? I mean, what's happening here? We're going to kind of maybe walk through it just for a moment, but as I read this and I thank God, I desire forgiveness. And, and the person that brings forgiveness is your son, Jesus. Uh, Maybe we might echo the words of Eliza Hewitt from 1887. More about Jesus. I would know more of his grace to others show more of his saving fullness. See, more of his love who died. What? For me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of a saving fullness, see, more of his love who died for me. I don't know how many of you ever have played Monopoly. How many of you have ever played Monopoly before? I don't know what your strategy is, but my strategy when I play Monopoly would always be I like to get the railroads. I don't know if any of you did that. That was always my go to, right? I was trying to create that that little there and then I would try to hopefully get the, the electric company and also the water company. And then I would work my way around trying to get my monopoly, trying to get all of the properties. And that was just kind of my my schematics, game planning um, when I went in to play Monopoly. I want you and I to see today that in the text it says that God has a monopoly on forgiveness. It's His. And anywhere else that you may be tempted to go is a counterfeit, and it's not true and genuine. It says the only person that can truly redeem us and forgive us is a perfect sacrifice. He's the only one that can truly ever satisfy the judgment of God of sin. And the Bible says that person is Christ. His forgiveness is good. He say, well, why all this forgiveness? Why that reasoning for it? Right? And we've already looked at it. But look what he says again. i want gonna pull your attention to it. That, right? Why this, why this forgiveness that you may be feared? Right? I mean, this God is awesome. And amazing. I mean, our sin, guys, it leaves us wrecked. It leaves us in a place of saying, God, I'm unworthy of being accepted by you. But now this grace, this mercy that I have never earned or never deserved, it has come to me. And God, listen, God is looking and doing this, this forgiveness. What? That He may be feared. That you and I might truly fear who this amazing and awesome God is. Warren Wiersbe comments on this passage here and he says this. If you take seriously the guilt of sin, you will take seriously the grace of forgiveness. If you take seriously the the guilt of sin, you will take seriously the grace of forgiveness. Sometimes I think, guys, that we spend a lot of time just fighting God's grace and forgiveness like trying to prove that we somehow earned it or we deserved it or god you didn't make a mistake on me god delights in forgiving you and I and you would never ever you weren't good enough to deserve it then and you won't be good enough to keep it it's based upon grace that this god might be feared that you might say wow what kind of god is this who is a god that would love someone like me like that and he's saying listen you not know, a place of fear upon our lives I'm saying, this God is amazing. This God is unbelievable. God, here I am. It's a response to this forgiveness. Here's my life. Riv and I were talking this morning, and we were talking just briefly there about the offering. And as we were singing the song, Brother Corey, we were just kind of discussing the words. And said, Riv, what do you think it's meaning by the offering there? And he says, well, they probably you know maybe want some money in the plate or something like that. I said, buddy, the song we're singing is saying that you are the offering. It's you that God wants. More than just your simple, like, throwing some money in the plate. More than just showing up at church. God wants you, brother. He wants all of you in the plate. Your life is the offering. It's you. All of you. That is a response of fearing this God. Of saying, I am so unworthy and undeserving. But wow, how you love me. Look what he says here. Further to them. Uh, Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. What's the longest that you've ever waited in a drive-thru? Anybody here waited more than 10 minutes before drive through 20. Keep them up. 30? And you waited. I don't know where you were eating at, but like, wow. Right? How many of you have ever waited more than an hour at a doctor's office? Yeah. How many of you have ever waited uh, maybe more than 10 hours for a plane? You've been in an airport longer than 10 hours. Yeah. How many of you maybe waited more than a day for a baby to come? How many of you maybe now are concerned about what waiting for your taxes might bring? Right? Listen to what he says here, though. Look, look, look. Why, was, why should we wait for this God, right? Why are you waiting the drive through? I'm assuming you think that food's pretty good. Why are you waiting for that doctor? I'm assuming that you feel like that doctor provides something that maybe no one else could. You're waiting for that baby because that baby is going to bring something that you can't wait to love on them and allow them to love back on you. Right? I mean, you're waiting for that plane because you've got somewhere you need to be, either for business or back home to family or wherever. I mean, you and I, guys, listen, we're waiting. Why? Because we feel like those things are worth it. And so the psalmist says pull up a chair and wait for God because He's worth it too. And he says, listen, I want you to know, listen, he kind of moves kind of general. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And then he gets a little bit more specific. Look what he says here. And in his word, I hope. His word, literally, that there's a God who forgives me. Guys, how can I not wait on him? Even when I don't understand what he's doing or why he's not acting or why is he allowing this chaos to come into my life? This God is worth waiting for even when I don't understand or maybe even when I don't like it. And his word I hope. Why? Because there's a God who is of forgiveness and of grace and of great mercy. And so we wait. Listen again, isn't it beautiful? This guy's telling other people to wait, and he's in himself in the depths. Don't forget that. Don't forget what you've just read in the previous few verses. This is a person in the midst of the depths, right? I mean, he's crying out to God and he's telling, listen, my soul waits, and in just a moment, he's gonna start saying to everybody else, guys, listen, I'm in the depths, I'm in a pit. I want to encourage you, remain faithful, because God's faithful. Psalmist turns, right? He's going to return his situation here just now. Um, and he's going to say that. Look what he says here. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Israel, hope in the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful affirmation of encouraging others in the midst of his own pit, in the midst of his own water sweeping over him to encourage them? Have you thought that maybe right now the storm or the pit that you're in, that God might be using that down the road that you might encourage someone else when they themselves find themselves in a similar pit? Some of you have already been there, right? You look back 10 years in your life or 20 years in your life on that terrible situation and you don't know, but the only thing you can say is that by God's grace, what was intended for evil, God used for what? Good, right? It's a Genesis 50, 20 moment in your life. You, you don't really know or recognize, and you would have definitely not called it good 20 years ago. But by His grace, God has done such a work. And so this person here, listen, God has allowed the depths to come in. Maybe they brought some of it on themselves. Where, again, we're not, we don't have tons of clarity on all of that. But we know in the midst of it that God is using it to not only transform that person, but to transform those around you. Oh, Israel, He says, hope in the Lord. Why would they hope in the Lord? Look what he says here. He starts it out just really clear again. As you're, as you're translating, trying to make meaning in the text, man, God just continually gives us words that are clear. Four, with the Lord there is what? There's what? Steadfast love. The King James that encourages it here, renders it mercy. With the Lord there is mercy. Again, guys, there's a God whose love is steadfast. It doesn't change. Even, listen, if you've lived this week and you say, there's no way I deserve the grace of God. That's why it's grace. If you're here this morning you think you do deserve it, be careful. I think that's what he's ushering there at verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Be careful today, I think. And we're going to go there in a moment in Romans 6. Paul warns the church and warns others. Be careful when you start to take this grace, this forgiveness for granted. Be warned of that. Look what he says. And with him is plentiful redemption. Right? Here's the second reason, guys. Not only because his love is steadfast, but there's plentiful redemption with God. I left that blank because I really didn't have anything. I couldn't figure it out. And God just kept saying, wait, wait, wait. And this morning, my reading would take me into Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus tells this awesome, unbelievable story of this king who has this guy that comes to him who owes a debt he could never, ever pay. Like his entire lifetime, it doesn't matter how hard he worked, he could never, ever repay it. He pleases this guy for mercy, this king for mercy, and he says, you know what, I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to wipe away all your debt. The guy says, wow, praise the Lord. This guy leaves his presence, runs out, and he finds somebody else that owes him like a few bucks. And the guy also doesn't have the money to pay, and he says, listen, if you will just have mercy on me, I'll pay you back. And the guy says, no way, throw him in jail. Throw him in jail. And it says, Listen, the king hears about it. He brings this guy back before him. And he says, Listen, did I not forgive your great debt? Am I not a God of plentiful redemption? And if I've forgiven you like that, then how could you not forgive your brother or the other person the sin? Your spouse? Your coworker? Your mom or dad? Somebody in one of these pews or in another church, somewhere in some pews that maybe you've long since left, of what they've done to you. You see, guys, God's plentiful redemption is a work not simply that we would receive grace, but that we would fear this God and we in fear would begin to show that grace to others. Do you see it? That you may be feared. But with you, there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. And the fear is revealed in the fact that we now show this grace that we ourselves have never earned or deserved, this mercy that God has poured forth on us. We want that. Look what he says there, verse eight: "And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities." I'm going to read this a little bit long, but I just thought it was it was it was really well written. Um, it's by a guy the name of John Golden Gay. He comments on this passage. Look what he says here. The greatness of Yahweh's commitment and redemption lies in the fact that Yahweh, and yeah, that's a name for God, right? Yahweh brings about such deliverance and does so in respect to all Israel's acts of waywardness that had taken it to the destruction of state, destruction of monarchy, and the destruction of temple and left it. If the psalm actually comes from the Persian period, left it still living in the aftermath of those events. And listen, this is a statement I want to make sure you catch. The greatness of Yahweh's commitment and redemption means that these experiences will not have the last word. What if, right now, in the midst of your deep pit, that deep pit didn't have the last word? What if that diagnosis did not have the last word? What if those words that you spoke to that spouse or that person in relationship, if those words didn't define actually where your relationship's going to be down the road? What if those moments, listen guys, where you are right now, if it didn't have the last word, he says, listen, I want you to know, there's God who's going to redeem Israel. They had done so much to mess it up. They had done so much to blow it. God had warned, he said his people, he said, please repent, repent, repent. They wouldn't do it. And God brought judgment, and yet even in His judgment, He is merciful and gracious to His people and desires to bring the wayward back. What a moment of grace. And I think, again, all of that leads us back to say, this is a God that I should fear. Not only is He a God that might judge my sin, absolutely, but there's a God who loves me even in the midst of my sin. And that's amazing. Right, I mean, many of you, I'm sure there's some here that have been married a really long time, and you know your spouse really well. And there's a lot of warts I'm sure you know about your spouse that maybe nobody else knows. And yet that love that you have for one another, despite those things. What a moment of grace and mercy, of overlooking one another, forgiving those things. Not dismissing that they're not there, but even in the midst of those saying, God has forgiven me so greatly, I too now forgive you. What a moment. Listen to what Paul says. I just want to close with a few of these. Paul in Romans 6 kind of maybe is dealing with something similar. What shall we say then? He say, he asks the question in Romans 6 and 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace might, may abound? By no means. He says we've died to sin. How could we live in it any longer? Right? The temptation is to say, well, if God is so gracious and forgiving and His mercy is so good, then maybe I'll just live kind of any way I want. Maybe that God isn't... I don't know. It's not that big a deal. He says, listen, I want you to know that God's forgiveness of us, guys, is that he would be feared. And you say, well, what's it look like to fear this forgiving God? Listen to what Paul says. Verse 10 of Romans 6. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Look what he says here. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin And alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, the response to this grace and forgiveness is driving you and I to say, God, here's my life. Lord, here's my life. My life is the response to your grace and forgiveness. Because I know that if you keep that tally sheet of iniquities, there's no way I can ever stand or be accepted in your presence. But because of your great grace, saying, God, here's my life back in response It is a life of fearing. Look further with me. Paul says these, verse 12 of Romans 6, just continuing there. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He says, listen guys, don't take God's grace and forgiveness for granted. Don't step over it. And he says, you want to know how, the, how you reveal that you're not abusing God's grace and kindness? It's by dying to yourself. It is a life of fearing Him. By saying, God, I repent. Right? We've been singing the words of Romans 2 this morning. I don't know if you heard it. But you've been singing the r- words of Romans 2. That God's kindness is meant to lead us to what? To repentance. It's His kindness, His grace. And then he finishes with these words. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion o- over you since you are not under the law, but what? Under grace. He says, you know what? All of this obedience is again because you've been forgiven. You're not having to live to earn it. You're not trying to keep up the checklist. You're not trying to keep your chart filled with enough stickers that God's going to accept you. This is because Jesus has already filled out your sticker chart for you. This is just a life of saying thank you. How now can I not obey? How now can I not follow because of how you have loved and forgiven me? Brother Corey shared there in Luke 15, as our musicians make their way. It's an interesting story, the prodigal. And I want to pick up maybe on the back half of Brother Corey shared about the prodigal son that came back. What's interesting about the story is that there's not only one son, there's actually how many? Two. And there's an older son that's there that stays with dad. He never leaves. He never makes seemingly the outward mistakes that the prodigal so did. But what happens is, is verse 28 records that when the younger son comes and they have the big celebration, they kill the calf, the robe's on, the sandals on his feet, the ring's on his finger, and this son's welcome back. Verse 28 says this scary statement. Because Jesus is talking to the most religious people. The most religious people are all sitting around him hearing the story. It says in verse 28, that the older son stayed outside and refused to go in. And the father comes outside and pleads with the older son to come in because of his grace and forgiveness. And here's the scary part. Jesus finishes the story and the older son is still standing outside. And the question we may need to ask is this, who's really the prodigal in that story? The religious people, listen, listen, They thought they deserved God's grace, and that's what the psalmist is telling you and I, Psalm 130. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Church, be careful of taking God's grace and forgiveness for granted. It can leave you standing outside as if you don't need it. As if, well, those people do. The father came out and said, son, you need it too even though you don't see it. It's the, the story kind of ends with Jesus leaving the door open, but the oldest son standing outside. And I would just ask you, have you ever really received God's grace and forgiveness? Are you standing outside? Is God asking you, bidding you this morning, son, daughter, come in. Come in. My grace is, is, is lavish, you're right. But I want you to know that I love you. That I care for you. This morning, would you respond to the grace of God as the door stands open to you? Would you come in and bow your heart before this God, fearing this God of forgiveness that loves people like me and loves people like you? Would you pray with me, Father? God, I pray this morning that we will never take your grace for granted. God, I got no hope. I got zero hope to be accepted before you. I know that, God. I know the scoundrel that I am on the inside. I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm talking about this past week, God. I know, God, those curse words that were in my heart when I realized that that test may have failed and the anger that just poured out, God, in my heart, Lord. And I was just trying to choke it, keep it from coming out of my mouth. But, Lord, I realize that within me, God, at any moment, I'm capable of anything. So Lord, I need Your grace today. I need it now. I need You to overcome the anger that can so quickly come about. The, the oh, the frustration, God, and how I lose self-control, and I don't have peace or patience or kindness or love or joy. I, I, the, the fruit of the Spirit's just out the door, God. I just totally lose it, God. At those moments, Lord, as I prayed the other day on my couch, God, please, right now in this moment, do not let sin be my master. For I'm not under the law, God, I'm under grace. You love me, you accept me. Please, God, let your power in this moment keep me from losing the self-control. I want my wife to see this, my kids, and most of all, God, I don't want to do it to you. God, thank you for the power of your Spirit in that moment, that even though sin is there knocking at the door, God, your power is greater to keep us in those moments from losing it. I just want to say thank you. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters all throughout this church, God, some that are prodigals in regards to the fact they're way off. Lord, that they're way out there. Lord, let them see today that your grace and mercy welcomes them back. Father, for the religious among us who think that other people really need that, but they don't think they do, God, just please open their eyes and invite them to say, come in, you too need it. God, let our hearts and our lives reflect the fact that we fear you. And the great grace that you've shown us. Let us not take it for granted. Let us go now and do likewise and show it to others. I pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of your Son Jesus. In his name I pray, Lord. Amen.
0: Lord, I come.
1: Donnie with our church I um, just want to encourage you again